By the way, everyone, he's wearing his Podcast Junkies t-shirt. He really never does take it off. Do you sleep in that thing? Podcast Junkies 131. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you are new, this is the one and only show recorded out of Los Angeles where that speaks to just podcasters. I think that's an accurate statement. So um, if that's not true, then someone please correct me. But every week we have conversations with some amazing folks in case you missed last week. Lee Silverstein really, really touched my heart with what he's doing with the Colon Cancer Podcast. Uh, He's starting a network now to support like-minded podcasts. We met at PodFest. Really, really love his story. And I, in case you haven't heard it, um, or if you know someone who's a cancer survivor who might benefit from an inspiring story, then please check out that episode with Lee, episode 130. Uh, I got some really good feedback on it. Uh, Shout out to my my boy Zach, who I met at a podfest, and uh, we connected on the first day, and he's I've been following his progress and uh, making sure that he gets his podcast out on a consistent basis. I love holding people accountable, so it's a special shout out for you, Zach. Just speaks to all the interesting people you meet at at a podcast conference, although it was a conference related introduction. It's a bit of a long, a bit of a longer story. This week's guest, Z Holly, Z is short for Christina, is the host of The Art of Manufacturing. We actually connected when she attended one of my courses here in LA, a podcasting course. It was like a three-hour course, and she showed up. And of all the students who were there, she's the only one who I know of that continued and actually started her podcast, and, and now it's going gangbusters. So we stayed connected, and we ran into each other at LA PodFest last year. And uh, I saw that she was just doing amazing things. And uh, we ran into each other again at Podcast and Pizza, hosted by previous guest Ben Adair here in uh, Silver Lake, Los Angeles. And I, I knew it was just a matter of time before I, I, I had her on the show and we the schedule worked out. And we had a great conversation. So it's really interesting because she has such a diverse background. And we talk, obviously, about why she became interested in podcasting. There's a fascinating story about her creating the first ever TEDx talks, which I don't know if many people know that, but <laughs> I did not. And and we talk about how what she learned from pitching ideas, from putting the TEDx together, a little bit about her decision-making progress, the experience of attending MIT, and you'll hear a an awkward question that I ask, and, and in retrospect, I probably could have asked it differently. Z handled it very, very well, and it's something that I'm always learning as a as a podcaster, where where and when it makes sense to ask a, a question, and you'll have to hear it. It's about halfway through the conversation. We talk about what makes a really good interview. Um, we have fun with Venn diagrams, <laughs> and we talk about her conversation with Dove Charney, who is the ex-CEO of American Apparel. And recently, uh, podcasters, uh, podcast junkies will have heard his story on Startup. So this is a really wide-ranging, meandering conversation, but we all tie it together in the end. And it's, it's really uh, a fun time for me. And I always enjoy this opportunity to get to speak with some of my really close friends and fellow podcasters. This episode is brought to you by Podbean. 
Did you know that Podbean has a podcast? It's called Podcasting Smarter, and it's hosted by my friend Jennifer Crawford. I always make it a point to keep up on podcasts about podcasting, and it's in my list. It's in my podcasting section in Overcast, and I have a lot of my friends' shows in there. Dave Jackson School of Podcasting, Podcasting Smarter with Jennifer, Podbean's official podcast, and a couple of others, probably like 10 to 20 others. But I do make it a point to consistently uh, see what's happening in our local pod podosphere, podverse, whatever the word is. Uh, the reason I, I bring this up is because uh, on this recent episode, she had on um, John Zhu. And John is the host of Romance of the Three Kingdoms podcast. And I thought it was really fascinating. It's a, it's apparently a ancient Chinese novel uh, with 800,000 words and nearly a thousand dramatic characters to cover. And it was just one of those, you know, one of those things where you, where you think you've heard everything <laughs> there is to, to hear about podcasting. And then you quickly realize that there's no way that's actually possible. But John reads through the chapters. Uh, I had so many ideas about things he could do and maybe get guest podcasters to speak and, and, and narrate chapters. But it's just another way that Podbean is uh, really l looking at the the universe of podcasts that they have at their disposal and bringing out these conversations. So if you aren't already a listener, I suggest you subscribe to Podcasting Smarter with Jennifer Crawford. So make sure you stay till the end where we reveal this week's retention hashtag. It's our way of seeing who is paying attention and is a loyal podcast junkie. Full show notes will be available at podcastjunkies.com slash 131. Make sure you check those out. We put a lot of time into there. And uh, you can see all the topics we talked about, and especially some tweetables uh, for moments in the show that you can share on social media. So enough talk. Let's listen to Z. So Z Holly, host of the Art of Manufacturing podcast. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. So glad to see you. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to uh, do the face-to-face. -face, uh, and it looks, and we're both on the uh, West Coast, so I, I think the temperature is going to hit 80 degrees today. It's so gorgeous out. <laughs> and of course, I'm indoors. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're both indoors. <laughs> like, all we can do is like stay We should have done window. this on the beach. <laughs> I know. Like in hindsight, we should have done like, um, like I did with our mutual friend Esprit. We did it yeah. uh, outdoors, but. Need the windscreen for that. <laughs> yeah, you do. You need that big. Uh, what's the big? That big fuzzy furry thing. The fuzzy I, windscreen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, make you feel like an official. Like uh, I always see people with that, and I have. I assume they're like super official audio geeky, like tech person. <laughs> if they take it to that level, it's amazing what you get away with when you have really official gear, right? Like even just even a mop and a bucket and an attitude, you can just walk into anything and then get anyone to do anything for you, let you through the door, whatever. <laughs> Sounds like that's an approach you've used in the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excuse me, where's the green room? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, over there. <laughs> so, uh, have you have you done that that uh, mop and a bucket approach? That sounds interesting. Um, the clipboard. Yeah, the clipboard. <laughs> definitely done it with a clipboard. <laughs> and I've definitely done the where's the green room, and you know, often people don't don't question you. <laughs> what, you know, what, happened, look, what happens? What happens when, when you go into the green room? Well, then that's where all the speakers are hanging out. <laughs> I mean, I did have a little bit of a purpose to be there, but uh, but my friend who was with me, she's like, oh, my God, I didn't even know what a green room was, let alone had any, you know, had ever thought about asking that question. <laughs> so a little bit of uh, context. And I was, I was um, thinking back on our 
podcasting and or our friendship via podcasting and it started with you showing up for at the last minute if i recall correctly totally <laughs> to a course i did at um, a place called general assembly here in los angeles i'm wondering if, if you could think back to that uh is it now two, is it probably two years now maybe right yeah it was uh november it no october ish yeah. from uh yeah a year and a half ago and so was that your first inkling that you wanted to do something uh, podcasting related? Well, I had an interest in podcasting, but you know, had so much on my plate and I I would I would definitely credit you for for having helped demystify the process a bit uh, and giving me some confidence. I had always been interested in you know, the, the, if I look back on my career, I think that it's about finding undiscovered talent ideas and helping them tell their story, helping them make impact, you know, whether it was helping faculty start venture backed startups at universities or, you know, putting people on stage at TEDx. Uh, and uh, so that's, so for me that I really enjoyed doing that. And podcasting seemed like a medium that was very intimate and allowed those longer conversations as opposed to something where people get bored in three minutes watching a video. And uh, so I was curious, definitely, didn't know, you know, I've been thinking that maybe I'll, I'll start one, didn't know how to get started. So definitely I'd say that it's a mystifying process. It seems like it would be easy, but it's actually way harder than it should be. <laughs> and I spend way too much time doing it. <laughs> what, what would be interesting for the listener is, is for those folks that are, there's people that listen that are obviously already podcasting, but I, I imagine there's a fair share of folks that are thinking about starting it. And I'm wondering as you were moving down that path, you know, how many, were there times when you thought about not doing it just as you started to figure out like all the pieces that were involved? No, once, well, once I started down that path, I was definitely determined. It wasn't a matter of if, you know, whether or not it was more when, and I think that, uh, there's definitely, that's a whole, that's a whole process of allowing yourself to be a creator and allowing people to critique your work and being a beginner. So I feel like I'm, I'm very good. And I have a lot of experience in moderating conversations and picking talent. And, you know, I, I've had, <laughs> I've actually hosted events with, you know, Gordon Brown and, or, you know, Melissa, Marissa Meyer. And, you know, so those sorts of things don't make me uncomfortable. But then when it comes to the actual putting it into a medium that people can forever consume and it's the first one. It's really a scary moment. I think when you push the button to publish and you open yourself up and I kind of, I think I understand now why artists are often drug abusers. <laughs> you know, it's like you gotta, you gotta, not that I am, but you know, it's, it's really uh, puts yourself, you put yourself in a really vulnerable position and I have really high standards. So I want it to be perfect. And that's not the right way to do it. I'm also an innovator and I understand the importance of iteration. So I think it's important to start, um, you know, and start and not have a huge fanfare sometimes because then it gives you the opportunity to explore and don't, the stakes are not as high. <laughs> where do, where does this sense, uh, where, where does the, the high standards come from? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just, it's just ingrained and I don't, I just, I really, really love to do things well. And I think also this is an interesting 
challenge when you've had success in the past. And then, and I think that this is not a unique experience. I know uh, other friends of mine have experienced this where you have success in a particular area and then move to a different field. So I was an engineer. I started as an engineer and then I quickly out of grad school at MIT, we started a start a company, a tech startup, and I was in tech for a decade. But early on, I also had an opportunity to do some documentary production between startups. But uh, but there was an, I didn't feel like you know the stakes were still lower because I was younger and an associate producer, you know. And and then after being in tech, I had the opportunity to start this innovation center at MIT, and nobody had ever done anything like that before. So the so as an entrepreneur or someone who's like a founding executive director or creating a new thing, the expectations are. Oh, well, let's see what will happen. And then it ended up kind of creating a whole new movement around innovation in universities. And uh, and then the stakes became higher because I was recruited by USC to become the vice provost for innovation and start an institute there. And so all of a sudden, oh, my God, as your life goes on, the, the stakes get higher. And, and it's great. It keeps things exciting. But now all of a sudden I have, uh, I don't have a $20 million, $22 million endowment (laughs) and I've never podcasted before, even though I've had these conversations. And so I still have the really high expectations. So I think that it's challenging when you are, when you do like to try new things to readjust your expectations about yourself to a so that so that you can try new things, and so that's one of the challenges that I see, and that's I think where the the quality comes from. I mean, you know, we created the first ever TEDx, and it became such a huge thing, and and it was so highly produced, and we had so much fun. I, I curated and hosted that for four years at USC, and uh, man, I I have to credit my team, like Elisa Schreiber, who I worked with at, um, when we launched this. She just had this amazing brain for creating amazing events, and and and. Now all of a sudden I have to apply that to this new <laughs> new thing that I'm doing and it's uh sometimes it can be adjustment. Can you talk a little bit about starting that first TEDx because it, it's so common now it's in the vernacular like a, a, it seems like a lot of people have been on te- have had TEDx talks and some of them have even moved to the bigger TED TED stage but I'm wondering um if there's a little if there's a story behind uh how that first TEDx event got kicked off. Yeah, I was, uh, so Elisa and I went to New York and, uh, to pitch Chris Anderson on the idea and he was the head curator for Ted and we're having lunch and we said, you know, Chris, we think it's amazing how you've made the content available online. And many people have criticized you, you know, the the real diehard Tedsters who they want it to be exclusive. They don't want everyone to have access to the content and they think that it's going to diminish the demand and that you're foolish, but you know, you know where it's at because actually why would anyone even know about Ted? Why would anyone want to go to Ted unless they knew about it? Right. So now that's that website has really enabled everyone around the world to consume this content. But the one thing that's missing is the experience. So it's not the same to watch talks online versus be there and be able to have that sense of community. So we would love to host something like that for our students, for our community at USC. But what we do, I'm sure many people have asked you this, right? I, you know, I'm sure everyone wants to do a TED, right? But we really want to create a model that's replicated. And that's the, that's the key is we want to help you with that. And because we, you know, part of my role at USC was to oversee the tech transfer office and innovation and licensing. So 
it the key was a licensing model that enabled Ted to maintain this brand, their brand, while giving a petri dish for experimentation for different different organizers. So he seemed he seemed very interested and he said, yeah, you know, we were, we're aiming for maybe later that year. And then he called back. I remember that call. And he said, you know what? We, I just don't have anyone on my team to take this on. And so I'm sorry. We're just, we can't do it this year. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe he was just being nice. And he's, I guess, you know, it's not on the cards. Well, a few months later, he calls back and he said, okay, now I have the right person. Let's go for, let's aim for next year. And that was uh, Laura Stein, who was amazing. She was the one on TED who really created the TED, TEDx program the way it is and, and scaled it. And we worked together, uh, Elisa and I and Lara and, you know, just kind of um, as we were working through the design of the program, we, we bumped up about, uh, against a lot of different challenges. You know, we were, Ted might, you know, wanted it to be free. And we said, well, we feel like we need to charge a little bit to at least recoup costs and also to have a little skin in the game and things like that. Right. And what was interesting was normally when you're licensing something from another organization you want to get everything you can out of that relationship whereas for us we understood that we were creating a precedent and we wanted to make sure that we didn't dilute the brand of this TEDx program that we were creating so it was in our best interest to try to be as fair as possible and really look at both sides and protect TED as well as protecting ourselves. So it was without going into too much detail but it was really a, a super interesting process as we went through it and um, so, yeah, March 23rd, 2009 was the first ever. Uh, Laura was there. Chris was there. It, we literally were the number one trending topic on Twitter. Wow. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, actually, that was until uh, John Meyer, John Meyer and who was um, Jennifer Aniston. They broke up during the first ever TEDx, not at our event, but at the same time. And so in the middle of our event, we went from the number one trending topic to the number two trending topic. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, uh, but it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. What did you learn during that process? Because that whole idea of pitching an idea is something that I think podcasters can relate to, you know, when it comes to maybe even sponsors or guests. And I'm wondering if, you had some of that skill set or as you started to do projects like this, you just picked up ways of doing it better. And if that's a, uh, helped you now that you have your own show. You know, I think that the most important thing to consider when you're pitching an idea is that it's not pitching is less a sales process and more of a listening process. It's a little counterintuitive, but the most likely outcome of a pitch is that you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and uh, evolve your idea you probably won't get an immediate yes. So, so it, it really is an important piece of, of, of understanding how to evolve the idea. And also it's really important to understand and listen to the person you're pitching to what mode, what is motivating them and how, who's the decision maker. And, and then you structure your ask in such a way because it's so easy to go in there and just keep talking about how great your idea is but you're not listening to the fact that I'm not the one making the decision or, oh, well, that's not what I'm looking for. But something actually maybe much easier is something that they're looking for. So, yeah, keeping your mouth shut a little bit you know, even when you're pitching, it's, it's counterintuitive. Yeah, it's, it's what I tell people in, in conversations as well to uh, welcome the silence. 
because a lot of times there's there's a, there's a thought process that needs to happen and people need to think through ideas and they need to actually think of what you just pitched them, you know, for example, and, and they're wondering if that makes sense. And like you said, the first no doesn't necessarily mean that they're shooting the idea down. And, and I think right. um, they understand that an idea like that probably it's probably something that they should think about. Like when it comes to making big purchases, I never do it like on the spot. And I, I hate like the, I, the process of buying a new car just because oh. Oh my God, <laughs> just yeah. all, all things like that, because it's like, they want you to make that immediate decision. And I think, um, I, I love the idea of sleeping on decisions. And I, and I think that goes into, you know, a pitch as well for, for both sides. And so I think if you understand the dynamic of the person you're pitching mm -hmm. to and their mindset going into it, I think you'll, you'll you'll handle it better. Yeah, and when I'm when somebody's pitching me, the first thing that I look for if if I have a question or if I have a suggestion, especially if it's a startup, I look for how they respond to my feedback. And sometimes some teams are very eager to just defend their idea, and then there's other teams that say that's a really interesting point. Let me get back to you on that. That's the right answer <laughs> usually, <laughs> right? And also the whole decision-making process, I think that, uh, you know, a very good friend of mine was, she and I were chatting, we were um, students at MIT together, and we just ran, we um, saw each other recently, and we were talking about the decision-making process, how you don't always know what it is that's holding you back from making a decision or what that key point is, because, and I think that there's sometimes I critique myself for being too slow to make decisions because you know, supposedly it's a mark of a good leader that you can make a decision really quickly. And she pointed out that sometimes it's not until you feel the, the, the decision or you kind of live with the two sides for a little while. And then some strange thing just switches in your brain where you realize, Oh, that's the important thing. You might have your list of criteria and that thing is not on that list. And a good example was that, she was she was talking about how she was looking at apartments and she she they had this whole list of criteria and there was one apartment by all you know of the criteria it was a better apartment but she was so depressed every time she left and she realized it was really dark in there and it just made her really unhappy it's like you know what if it makes you unhappy don't make that decision who knows what it, what's causing that yeah so i think that sometimes it's, you have to live and sit with that decision making process and it's okay that's good advice can the president, the former president of, of USC, he had this uh, contrarian's guide to leadership, uh, Stephen Sample, and he, he actually had a whole chapter on don't make a decision sooner than you have to. <laughs> yeah, I think, and that almost makes you think about the the process or the time leading up, um, and to give to give yourself that that padding as well. So if if you don't make an appointment for something where you need a decision where whether you get the decision or not that day is really critical to you <laughs> like if if you walk away from that conversation you, you don't get the decision you should still feel like i have enough lead time into what i'm working on that i'm not i'm, I'm not going to feel like it's like make it or break it because i guess that that desper desperation probably shows well and i think that it's uh there's certain information that changes right so you need to be open to that the changing information. So whenever there's new information, I always ask the team, okay, is the, does this information change the decision? Does it, does it impact? No. Okay. Then put it away. <laughs> we'll revisit it later. But if the information does change the consideration of the, you know, then let's re let's revisit it, which much to the consternation of my team sometimes, you know, do you, uh, you 
mentioned a couple of folks that you've worked with in the past. Are you the type who finds people that you get along with and you can get things done with and you sort of look for different opportunities to continue to work with them as you as you move on to different projects? There there have been amazing people that I've worked with and sometimes I just don't have the opportunity to work with them again. Um, well, Elisa, for example, moved up to up north to works uh, for Greylock, one of the top premier venture capital firms. Uh, and I've had folks that I've worked with you know, through TEDx, through USC, et cetera, that I try, I, I definitely stay in touch with. The problem is I think my, what I do changes over time. So sometimes I'm not always looking for the same people. And then, and also they've moved on and it, there's, it's so rewarding for people that have worked for me to move on to bigger and better things and just see them grow professionally. And uh, so I think that a lot of the folks that I've worked with have sort of outgrown, just so have been so successful. It's just really, really great to see. Do you like taking on the role of mentor? I do. And what's challenging is there's a there's a balance between what the time that you can spend helping people and I and I'm definitely a give first kind of a person and I've contributed a lot but it is a bit of a paradox right I think that that's a key to my success is that I've been uh, a mentor I've helped you know folks you know get on the TEDx stage and I've helped faculty at USC and MIT to start these businesses I mean I've had faculty come back to me years later saying successful entrepreneurs I mean millionaires like if it had not been for you I would not be a millionaire I would not I would not think about my research the way I do today and it's so incredibly rewarding, and I would, and and it's just really wonderful. But as you as you move on it through your career, more and more people hear about you, and then want the same kind of treatment. <laughs> it's very challenging to figure out how to say no. And so my whole philosophy has been say yes as much as possible. And I've had so many amazing experiences from saying yes, whether it's like diving with sharks in a documentary, or you know, like things like that. But then at the same time there is so much power in saying no and I have to get better at that, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you're, you only have only so much bandwidth. I wonder if people come up to you and you're like, I I heard you make millionaires. Can you, (laughs) (laughs) I know really, well, I get, I have a a little folder from like, like the really kind of weird emails that I've gotten over the years saying that I have this great, it's a, it's a, it's a folder called, I have an idea. (laughs) And, and the people from like, from Russia or from Africa or from wherever, just, you know, anywhere in the U S but they have this crazy idea, but nobody will listen to them. And there's just nothing I can do often to help them, you know? Um, and it's, and it actually says something, you know, that I think that there's so much wealth of knowledge experience and so much potential out there in the world, but it's just not evenly the, the support structures are not evenly distributed. And I think that's kind of what drives part of what I do. <laughs> What's fascinating about a list like that, having my podcaster hat on, I, I immediately thought of that as an opportunity for a new show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you could, know, have, you could have like celebrities or famous people read them. Yep. So like in the way, like, who, who is it, Jimmy Kimmel or uh, Jimmy Fallon does his tweets. Uh, they, the, 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 uh, the artist reads or the actor reads their own hate tweets back, you know, on, on air. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have... Um, it's just each each episode, you just kind of make a little mini mini <laughs> mini scene out of uh, the most craziest ideas people are pitching. To <laughs> it runs in the family, though. My dad, my dad has a lot of those crazy ideas. He's a physicist and uh, engineer, and 
yeah, he's uh, at age 84, I believe, almost. He's still, he has this, uh, actually, one, an invention that he's just still pushing forward on, and he's really? just totally passionate about. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I and I wish I could help him more, but yeah, I can tell you, it's a, um, it's a, it's a, a security, physical security system that enables, and he's pat, he has a patent on this, and it's he's has sixty patents to his name. Wow. This is the first one that he owns himself, so he's very very excited about it, and it's a it's a new way of detecting intrusions into a perimeter, and of course that. If um, <laughs> if if the wall pr- uh, request for proposals that Trump put out actually were a little more flexible than just asking for a, uh, a concrete wall, I'm sure he would be applying for that, <laughs> that grant. No, but any any sort of um, you know whether you have a, a water water source or an airport or whatever you need to have protected, this will tell you exactly where, what time, what moment, how big something. If a person or an animal crosses that perimeter, and uh, will can. And it's um, it'll immediately send a signal saying like this is what happened where and which direction it's going. So it's pretty pretty interesting technology. How is that not being picked up by all these security companies? Um, it's it's a it's a high it's a very high end solution and um, yeah, and it's you know I've helped them try to con- make some connections, but uh, uh, I don't know. It's it's hard <laughs> when you're let's not go there. <laughs> no, but. It's, <laughs> You know, you have uh, it's hard when you're your family yeah, <laughs> sometimes I'm to, sure. you know, but it, he is a brilliant, brilliant individual who growing up, he used to kind of pioneered some these like laser light shows and would do all sorts of crazy laser installations. And I, he would I would help him in the garage with his laser projects <laughs> when I was growing up. <laughs> they were real lasers. No, we yeah. had uh that's the yeah, I did well for for the folks who are listening. I, I I did the air quotes laser, which I got from uh, the what's the the show Austin Powers. Yeah, laser, <laughs> laser. They were real lasers. Yeah. Yes, it was that must pretty have, exciting. That must have been incredibly uh, inspiring and, and motivating for you growing up, seeing your 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 father that all that creativity coming out of that house. Oh yeah, um, I think that. Uh, it really helped inspire me to be a maker, a engineer. It's funny because my mom would kind of jokingly say, whatever you do when you grow up, don't be an engineer. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, engineers don't always get the best, at least back then especially, they didn't get a lot of uh, respect. So, but I was just so energized and seeing the stuff that he would build and what, you know, he would, there's this universal studios. How long have you lived in LA? Three years. Oh, okay. No, you were never. So anyone who grew up in LA might've gone to universal studios and saw the Battlestar Galactica installation where the tram would go through and there'd be this laser Cylons, I guess they would be shooting lasers everywhere. My dad did that, nice. <laughs> that installation. Yeah. So I would spend my evenings doing my homework, sitting there under the shadow of a Cylon, um, <laughs> and lasers going around. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, definitely funny how what your parents do influence you later i ended up going to mit in the same way my dad did and ended up doing a lot of optics actually as an undergrad i had a minor in optics so <laughs> i uh i want to finish up this idea of the inventor i just finished listening to the recent uh, episode of startup i don't know if you're caught up but they have the the guy it was about inventor and a guy who invented a, a toy called the slap bracelet but it just and he 
he thought he was going to be a millionaire. It didn't happen. And he's still inventing. He's got like 30, 40 inventions. He, he's focusing on toys. But there's something about that, the way an inventor's brain is wired. And I think until you know they draw their last breath, I think that mind is always going to be working about new ideas. And, and we need people like that, right, to create all these things that we take for granted. They were actually invented by someone. I know. It's crazy. But I would say that I would modify that a little bit when you say someone. I think that most really significant innovations are invented by uh, teams. And also, invention is not the same as innovation. So invention is the is and creativity are the idea or it's the one thing. And then innovation is how that one thing propagates through society and actually makes that impact and usually has it doesn't have to be mass produced but um but that's when it's true innovation when it changes the way we live work and play and that takes uh, sometimes society right so world wide web it really you know it took the whole whole world to make that what it is today yeah thank you that's a really important distinction so i'm, I'm glad you made that I, I was wondering what it was like uh, as a woman engineer at mit or if those, and I'm wondering if these questions start to get a little dated the, the, the older we get. And maybe hmm. nowadays it's probably not as big of a deal, but I'm wondering when you attended if it was. No, I mean, I think that uh, I don't know how to answer that question because <laughs> I don't know what it was like to be a male engineer. And you, you probably wouldn't ask a male engineer what it was like to be a man going to yeah. MIT, right? So I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I, think I, I'm, think... I think I'm wondering if you know you noticed yourself anything different um, or or you or you didn't think about it. I think that, uh, you know, it, it was women were less common than, at MIT, but there definitely were. You know, I went to school with uh, Helen Grainer, for example, the founder of iRobot and a uh, bunch of other amazing Megan Smith, who became the, the CTO of the country um, and uh, a lot of other really accomplished people and women. And I think that at MIT, it's incredibly it, it's an incredible meritocracy. And there's, I did not feel, I don't know, it's hard to know, but I don't, you know, I really feel like once you prove yourself, regardless of whether you're a man or woman, you have so much support. And I, there is no place in the world that I feel more supported than when I go back to my alma mater. And I work there too, so people know me through that. But my God, it's just, you feel like people really, you know, once you're in, you're like, wow, you even made it in, let alone like graduated, right? So I think that there's that sense of real uh, support of each other. So I I feel like MIT was definitely not the place where I felt um, that I remember having this, this being discriminated against necessarily. I yeah. may just have been unaware. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was just curious how... Um... It, it colored, you know, that experience. Uh, it, mm. it seems like it's, it was it was very important in, in everything that you've done afterwards, and including starting the podcast. Yeah, and I think you know my my first episode this season, Kelly Johnson. We talk a little bit about that process of you know things are different now, and not better or worse. It's just a little different. But so she's a she's the third generation in a three generation aerospace company. So she mm. took over Ace Clearwater from her father. And that was in the eighties. And that was around the time that I was going to college myself and then was, was working. So my first job was, uh, started as a summer job on the space shuttle main engine wow. here in LA. And, uh, yeah, so we, I was kind of laughing when she was talking about the girly posters and all that. And 
you know, one guy actually said, like, you know, you should be really glad you're a woman because my friend applied for this job, too. Wow. Like, okay, what are you implying here? You know? So anyway, she talks about that, about how when she first started, people didn't take her that seriously uh, at first. Uh, she also found that she was hoping that other women at other companies would be supportive of her. But in fact, in her case, she found that sometimes a woman liked to be the only woman, <laughs> you know, because oh, wow. then she was able to be, I don't know, unique or whatever. So I think that things have changed a lot. So now that there's a lot more support, support groups for women, but frankly, I am less interested in those. I think that the way change happens, I think you need both. It's fine. But for me, I really, if you look at my podcast, for example, this is not, uh, it's not a women's podcast at all, but it so happens that the majority of my guests are women. I mean, there's just such interesting people, right? But that's not the point. The point's not that. We have these amazing entrepreneurs that are making stuff and they're trying to make things in their industry and trying to make it in their industries, right? They're trying to like, they're actually in the middle of the entrepreneurial journey. And so they're just, I show, you know, whoever is really fascinating to me. And um, I show all the different faces that I, that I find. And it's, it's just, to me, so much more interesting than making the conversation about being a woman. Yeah. And actually, I, <laughs> I just did an interview with, um, with the, somebody who's like, she's like the premier ice cream maker of like, sort of organic, like kind of from the farm, um, Jenny's ice cream. And we, at the we, end ju the we just had some uh, like a couple couple weeks ago, and we've seen the store, and it's been in there here. Oh, it's, it's amazing! It's, it's here in uh, in Los Feliz. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they just opened their third store, and so she was in town. So I interviewed her, and she's really delightful. And at the end of the interview, she said, "I asked her, okay, well, anything else I should have asked?" And she said, "You know, you didn't ask what it's like to start a business or run a business with children." And at first, I felt like, "Oh no, I." I'm sorry, I guess. I don't know. Like, it just didn't even occur to me. And is that wrong? I'm not a mother myself. Maybe I'm being insensitive. And then she says, no, no, seriously, I have done thousands of interviews and never once have I not been asked that question. And it's a little bit tiresome. And I thought, that's really sad, actually, because <laughs> you would never <laughs> ask a man what it's like to be a, uh, you know, a father and running a business. But Oh, here I go. I see. I don't. This is not something that I usually talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's interesting because I, I mean I I appreciate the fact that you put you know put the other perspective on it because you know um, I I think there's people for whom those conversations uh, are interesting and they want to know, and I think it's a matter of knowing who your audience is because if they're if they're talking to if the podcast that let's say is about you know women you know, juggling your career as a woman and, and making it, which would be a horrible name for a podcast name. <laughs> but, but if it was, then you would expect to hear stories like that, right? You And you expect that the guest would talk about that topic. And, and it's, in, and I just, it's interesting because I'm just literally thinking through this, you really have to know your audience and you really have to know like what, and, and don't just ask the, the, the easy question because you think that that's going to be the conversation starter you know, if you really knew what, what it was that your audience came to week in and week out for, you know, wh why they came and why they subscribed to your podcast, right? you know, that's really what should drive the conversation. Right, right. And I think that, you know, I like 
to create role models. And I like to help people tell their stories. And I don't think that it's a role model for women necessarily. I think it's role models for everyone. And, and that's just my show. And that's the, that's my mm-hmm. approach. And when I put, in fact, I just had it, I just moderated a discussion. It was fascinating. It was a premiere of the short film about automation and its impact on the workforce. And it was perfect timing. I also put, I published a, an episode. The last episode was with Nick Pinkston, who has a fully automated factory in San Francisco. So it was great. We could play on that a bit. Anyway, so I moderated this panel with uh, two others, and uh, they were women. And uh, and I, it just so happened that way, right? And somebody, of course, in the audience had to comment on that. I'm like, no, why is it such a big deal? It just is, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think we're getting better, though. I think it's beginning, you know, it's beginning to seem like a natural thing. Where did I see a picture of the wo- the first woman to run the Boston Marathon and someone, I don't know if it was a tweet or something on Facebook, it was so bizarre. Uh, at that point, women weren't allowed to run in the marathon and she's running and the, ju- the, the judge of the marathon is running out into the... F- onto the track onto the street to like tackle her and like get her off really it's so bizarre i'm like what like you would actually like manhandle a woman like to get her out of your race because it's men only it's so like that sort of stuff that 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 actually used to happen and you know nowadays new generations are like that's so that you guys did that in the past yeah and it wasn't that long ago (laughs) so when my mother was pregnant with me she was uh she was a professor uh at bu and also at boston state college part-time they uh, they fired her, or I don't know what let her go when she they found out the moment they found out she was pregnant. Oh my god! Because she was pregnant. Like, how is that even possible? And that wasn't that long ago. Well, maybe it was, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, we we still remember. Uh, so <laughs> when it came to starting the podcast, did you have a, like a, a dream guest list of people that you knew you really wanted to talk to? You know, it's funny. I have a little bit of a contrarian approach when it comes to curating people and content. Um, I like to find undiscovered talent ideas a little bit more. So, and then I, I get nervous when I'm interviewing someone who's actually not nervous, but I, but I feel like when there's somebody who's well known. It's not that I'm nervous about them, but I feel like there's certain expectations around that conversation. And I feel like there's certain people that, you know, have their own fan bases, for example. So then I have more, too many stakeholders. <laughs> so mm. I actually have, it's interesting you say that, I have this episode that's that's coming up with um, a very well-known person in his field. His name is Rodney Mullen. And uh, he's usually called the godfather of street skating. I mean, he really, really started, he invented the flat ground ollie, the way, you know, skaters actually pop their skateboard up. I mean, he is, he's invented probably a hundred different tricks and many of those nobody else has ever done since. I mean, he's really talented and he's a good friend of mine actually. And uh, so I've always wanted to interview him. He he was a co-founder of World Industries. So it was the largest skateboard company in the nineties. And in doing the interview, it was so funny because he's my friend. I shouldn't be that nervous, right? But there's these stakes that are so high because I'm thinking, all right, well, somehow this needs to be interesting to my audience that are more entrepreneurs and, you know, less those lessons. But then hopefully his fans are going to want to listen to it as well. 
but then what's new for them? And then what are they going to want to listen to? And then of course, like this is my one chance to do this amazing interview about this different angle. And then of course, um, when he and I get together, we talk for hours and hours and hours. So how do we actually make this a reasonable length? So, uh, yeah, that was a lot of, uh, for me, a bit of anxiety around that interview, because I think that, um, I just had high expectations around it. <laughs> well, there's, I imagine all those questions are going through your head as you're having the conversation. And you're, you know, like us podcasters were like, well, how, how am I going to edit this? Or I should make a note about this point? Or do I want to take that piece out? Like while you're having the conversation mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, I better, you know, and then you want to focus. Cause I, you know, I tell people all the time, like try to focus as much as possible, but you, it's very hard to just simply pop off that, you know, podcast editing hat or that production yeah. hat or the marketing hat, or, you know, you're thinking about your listeners. And it's interesting because, you know, that point you made about his fans, they may not even like it because nothing about what they normally hear uh, is going to be found in, in that episode. Or maybe they'll love it for that reason because they're like, oh, we've heard everything right. about you. So <laughs> you're right, like, go, right, it, it, right. it runs the gamut. Well, this is the other interesting thing is in that this is not um, this is an issue of knowing him, which is a different issue of somebody who's a big name. Right. But I've discovered I've been discovering anyway. I, I'm very much uh, self. I love to analyze and, and try to understand and, and get better. Right. And so I'm trying to figure out what makes a really good interview and and why certain I mean, just even the smallest things. And I've realized that if I know too much, it's not good either. Right. So you yeah. want to have done some research so you're not going cold definitely i mean no doubt right so you have some smart questions and and you want to do a little bit of you know i always do a pre-call uh short and i and i always cut them off you know like okay that's a great story but don't tell it right now yeah. um just so that i know where to focus because there's so many things we can talk about but sometimes i there's so many great things that i found myself like oh i'm disappointed we didn't talk about this or we didn't talk about that I'm like you know what but the it doesn't matter there's so many things that are behind that person that there that you know you can't include it all right so you need to let go a bit and not be attached to the outcome and yes. kind of roll with the the discussion and and i think it's it's a real balance i think it's you're spot on because you know I, if you're if you're speaking to interesting people, you know no one's gonna be able to tell their whole life story in like a forty five minute interview. No, <laughs> you know there's gonna be so they could probably come on five or six more times and just keep telling you different stories and yep. and it's just a mark of how what an interesting life they've led. And like you said, you just have to pick one. And if the conversation is interesting and engaging, and it feels like time is flying by as you're listening to these two people talk, then I think. You know your your job is done because you've 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 sort of pulled out a nugget that's relevant uh, in that period of time and you know in where you are in this moment in time and where they are in this moment in time um, with kind of like an overarching theme of what your show is about. But then that's it. That just opens the door and sort of like what I do here is like I I, I like the idea of not preparing. I like the idea of being surprised. You know because you you know I think maybe people try to f be fake surprised sometimes on these conversations right and it's right, really right, nice right. it's really genuine when you're like oh just like wow that's cool you know I didn't so realize that I'm curious what kind of research you do on your guests very little yeah very little but, but the key thing that I do Z is that I invite people on that I have a bit of a connection with previously Mm -hmm. that so makes I, a lot so of I, I know them like I they're I mean for the most part they're friends of mine or we've had a conversation or we've met at a conference or they've asked me to check out the show and I really love it I I like it so much and I'm like I want to talk to them because I know I'm going to mm -hmm. find a connection point and 
you know, it's really, really rare that I do something cold and it's because I've reached out. I mean, I reached out to Mark Maron's producer, Brendan McDonald on Twitter. And I was like, if I can get him on, then, <laughs> you know, I'll, we'll find some common ground. We grew up in New York together and, you know, it's obviously podcasting, so we can, we can talk about something, but you know, those are far and few between. And, and, and that's why when, after every conference, <laughs> there's this slew of like 10 people I just met at the PodFest conference in Florida right. <laughs> for the next 10 episodes, but they're just, you know, they have fun. I have fun because we're just reconnecting and, you know, like as most listeners will know, I do video and it just builds that relationship. So next time we see each other, you know, it just, it's, it builds a familiarity. By the way, everyone, he's wearing his podcast junkies t-shirt. He really never does take it off. <laughs> do you sleep in that thing? <laughs> I have been known to sleep in this. Yes. It's very um, Would you explain the, the, the Venn diagram behind your shoulder? <laughs> That's um, a teaching I was doing on uh, overall podcasting and this idea that uh, the, the three merging diagrams, I'll turn my mic while I speak. Oh, and you just... have a dog. <laughs> you stepped on your dog. And that's definitely staying in. Uh, I'm sorry. Everyone knows that that's Disco. He's my Yorkie. And I just back my chair onto him. And he's like 13, 14 years old as if I don't feel bad enough. I just did it. By the way, I just did an interview with somebody who brought their dog to the interview and she had the dog on her lap the entire time. And it was very distracting. <laughs> Those are, oh man, too bad you don't do video for you, for yours. I mean, for the record video or show the video, that would be funny. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's, that's weird. I had someone eat one time. Uh, this what? Is, well, yeah, they were eating and I do video. So I, you didn't really hear it and you didn't hear it in the final because it's just audio, but he was like finishing up a bowl of fruit and I'm like kind of staring at him like, what? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. No names. Oh my God. No names will be mentioned. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, tell me these uh, Venn diagram um, here. No, it's just when I teach it on this, uh, I, I do podcast production and I teach about this, the three pillars of uh, deliver, connect and influence. And, and so the middle is authority. And so if you've got, uh, if you deliver and connect, correctly then you give value if you have influence and you connect then you have reach and if you have uh if you deliver and you have influence then you have growth and then i show how the on the outside of the the circles the pillars of deliver in in the program um the first two lessons are about planning and positioning and then under connect it's on it's about producing and publishing and under influence it's about promoting and profiting. So I, I, it gives people a visual overview of what the parts are as they start to think about themselves on the podcast journey. Mm, I like it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I'm, being an engineer, I love when things are kind of organized in a visual way that I can understand. <laughs> I've got a, I'm in a coaching program and there's, there's one of the, the folks in the coaching program has a, has a business where he coaches people on how to draw models. Like he's the model whisper like he's and he he i mean this one i sort of knew from my coach but then he's shown us like two or three others that just blew my mind and how you walk people in a visual way through like what you know where they are like if they can envision i think what he said is that if they can envision them themselves in the model then they're like halfway along the journey as opposed to you, you just telling them like okay this is what mm -hmm. we should do or this is what my business totally. does so totally. when people can see themselves in your model and then what you do is you to make it more interactive. I start to think about this from a, tra mm -hmm. a traffic like perspective. So if I'm giving a presentation, I'm like, okay, so think about you on the journey in terms of plan. If you had to say, you know, red, yellow, or green, where are you in that process? And then I, I draw that. 
And then, or if it's a room, you ask how many people are green, how many people are yellow, and then you start to see how many dots are there. And mm-hmm. then, and then they start to see, wow, I'm, I, I've got a lot of reds and yellows on my sheet or something like that. And so maybe Harry can help me <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> because he's mm-hmm. actually shown it. So, and you're almost guiding them through and they're, they're coming to that conclusion themselves because you've visually showed them and and you know people think kinesthetically through sound some people through vision and some people you know they like to draw these so a lot of times what my coach does he has these circles and they're blank and we have them on our worksheet so when he starts doing them i just naturally pick up my marker and i just start filling in what he's filling in so now i'm like taking part in in drawing the model myself which is all that stuff is fascinating to me how that works and how people's uh minds think and how people learn mm-hmm mm-hmm how many people in that class I was in ended up launching a podcast? I think you might be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the only one that reached out and kept at it, which uh, yeah. I recently taught another one at General Assembly, which is a, uh, a school here in all, all over the country. But uh, I had uh, 10 people and only one or two are following up with me. And I guess well, sometimes it's, by teaching people how hard it is, you're doing them a service. You know, it's like the same way we were talking about, you know, when you're pitching and then yeah, you know, sometimes no isn't no, but the truth is like the the slow no is worse than a no, you know, like a vast yeah. no. So sometimes it's better just no. And in, in the same way, my podcast is about entrepreneurship, and you kind of realize how challenging it is. It's really, really there's some tough times, and um, you got to be ready for it. And better, I don't know. I mean, sure, try it, but you know, at the same time, if it's not for you, don't don't sell your house, <laughs> don't refinance <laughs> your house, you know. Uh, which one of the interviews so far has been the most challenging? Um, you know, I think I'll be more general. I mean, I've had a couple where they they had a great story, but you know, in, in theory, like they, they should have, and they're very dynamic in, in person when I knew them. But then when it came down to doing the interview, getting an actual story or specifics out of them is like pulling teeth. It's crazy. And I think that there's some people who are, over media trained or really self-conscious about what they're saying. And it's pretty crazy. And in one case, I actually turned it into a short segment um, because I just couldn't use the whole interview. Mm. It was, I mean, literally it was over an hour conversation and I only took 10 minutes of it. Wow. And I, I've done, the, I've done a few conversations, so you you won't know who that is. Because <laughs> People are trying to figure out. Well, yeah, right. Um, well, the other conversation that fascinates me is, uh, the one you had with, um, Dev Charney Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, because I listened to the Gimlet series and I walked away with it with a specific like feeling towards, uh, that man. And so I'm I'm just curious what what, what, what your, what, (laughs) what your, uh, how your interaction with him went. Yeah. Um, I think that. So I did not listen to the whole Gimlet. I, I only heard, listened to the first episode, and I and I learned afterwards. In fact, he told me too that it was just he felt really, really shafted and and um, misled in the purpose of that of that show. And um, but I I found him very entertaining. Uh, I appreciate his. So so for those of you who don't know, he he was the CEO and the founder of American Peril, and he is incredibly controversial. He has a very checkered past or reputation. Um, he's had some. Uh, so his, his company actually was taken uh, taken over by um, sort of hedge fund or uh, private equity folks that that ended up kind of taking it over and then pushing him out. And the the premise for doing that was supposedly these sexual harassment lawsuits and et, et cetera. That um, and he 
he is definitely a very colorful character and he kind of has his own sense of what's decent and what's appropriate. So I, you know, he's definitely a very, very colorful character, but at the same time, I have to respect the fact that he's like, he is himself. Right. And he is so obsessed and obsessive. He is, has a single minded focus around his business. And so since he left American apparel, actually he's finally, he tried to sue to get it back. Once it became clear that wasn't going to happen, and now it's sold. It's been sold. He ended up uh, starting a new business. And so we talked a little bit about kind of what's next, but he's still being very secretive about it. But he's uh, he just just sort of single minded focus. And he he lives and breathes his business. He's done a lot of amazing things for for L.A. and manufacturing. And a lot of people in the industry that have worked with him have this incredible respect for his his style sense, his his kind of um, focus, his his ability, his business sense, his marketing sense. He basically took over all the billboards back in. I'm trying to remember when it was the the 90s. You know, with all this American Apparel kind of stuff, very different kind of authentic feel to those photos, kind of slutty and kind of crazy, just different. So he's he's a different character. I, you know, I'm not going to defend him one way or another. Like we did not really talk about we did not talk about the stuff that you know all the salacious stuff because it was irrelevant you know i really was more interested in where he came from and and his personality so and then through that process his personality comes out so it's it's clear that he's not your average person but you know at the same time it's i think it's that single-minded drive that makes him a successful entrepreneur i mean really he drives his people really hard but people are actually incredibly loyal to him so yeah it's it's pretty it was an interesting conversation and um it was a, it was a challenging interview because he is a very very assertive person and he really and I and I wanted to let him run with the interview a bit. I mean, I wanted to talk about the things that he found. You know, I had to. He just he kept bringing up the the old company though, and it was just getting a little bit tiresome. And I'd have to tell him like, look, let's you know, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> But uh, but in a way, it sort of gives the color to what's driving him, you know? Yeah, imagine, so I think, imagine it's yeah. still a, a sore spot for him. Oh, my God, yes, yes. So, Well, kudos to you because you knew very clearly what your show is about and where you need to drive the conversation. And mm-hmm. all that other stuff was not necessary. And, mm-hmm. and people could listen to it on a bunch of other podcasts, I'm sure, mm-hmm. like like the startup one, so... I think well uh, to me it's interesting like he has a passion for photography and his mother was an artist and um you know and had like all these artist lovers and stuff and just had this crazy you know so he talked a little bit about that and and I actually start the conversation with about his photography because he was really he's been burned by the media so many times that I had to be careful without being without kowtowing right yeah. so that was a, it was a little bit of a challenge but but I needed to build trust with him up front and it wasn't like a calculating move or anything, but I was very curious about his, his photography. And I started with that and Oh my God, you could just see in his, his whole affect, he just kind of relaxed and got really excited and got into it. Very smart. Very smart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who are you excited about or when it comes to the podcast, either from, topics or where, where you're looking to uh, move the show? So I always like to push the boundaries, which is a bit, a bit of a challenge for me. So when I was at USC, for example, I was running tech transfer and also kind of overseeing this innovation 
Institute. So when I first, and it sounds like it's a distraction, but it's like, this is relevant where when I first came to USC, what I saw that was so excited, exciting to me about USC as a change from MIT, because I loved MIT. It was my alma mater and I was running this amazing center. I worked with the most brilliant faculty in the world. Why would I leave? And I, and the, and the thing that got me to move cross country was the opportunity to think more broadly. So USC has 18 schools, like 17 schools in a college and so much diversity, right? And you have social work and you have dentistry and you have, you know, public policy and planning. And so when I came in, I said, my own personal thing. I said, I, my goal is in five years, I want to touch every single one of these schools. I want to help at least one person in each one of these schools. What was kind of crazy was we did it within a year and a half. I mean, maybe much to the disappointment of USC, who was like actually really excited about the engineering piece than what I brought to the table, you know, but I really believe that innovation is much more broad than technology, than engineering, than entrepreneurship. And so, so we really broadly. And the reason I say that is because I bring the same kind of an attitude towards manufacturing and kind of the, the tagline is like manufacturing is sexy. You know, there's so much behind it. There's so much creativity in manufacturing. And I really focus on entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs that are that are pushing the boundaries. And so uh, I probably should focus a bit more to the core. But I love when I have someone who someone who's making ice cream or someone who literally is building urban farms in containers, you know, that can grow, you know, grow produce in any condition in the, around the world. Uh, I have someone who's demanufacturing, Kabira Stokes. She actually hires returning citizens from prison to recycle electronic waste. And he, she talks about some really interesting things, both about hiring and about the whole, you know, about sustainability and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I have, uh, ice cream. I have the first, the largest organic distillery in the, in the world coming up. In fact, they were the first distillery to open in in the city of LA cool. since prohibition. Uh, so that's coming up. Uh, so I think that, you know, and then I had someone who has like a fully automated factory. So, I, and then I had someone who actually was someone, he killed a man at age 17. He was convicted of murder with his name is Chris Wilson and he was um, put in prison, life in prison. And he really, any normal person would just give up. But after a year, he's like, nope, I have a plan. And uh, he put to, he put together a plan. In 16 years, he convinced, he, he convinced the judge to let him go. And now he's hiring hundreds of returning citizens. And it's, it's pretty amazing. And it's kind of funny because he was visiting from Baltimore so, and he was in, you know, in our town and so we're like, okay, well, what, we need to find a place to do it. Ah, why don't you just come over to my house? Because I couldn't use the studio and because it was on the other side of town. And then I mentioned to my husband, you know, if you could be quiet while we're doing this, I'd appreciate it. And he's like, oh, I'll just go for a bike ride. When my mother found out that I had a convicted murderer in the house and my husband left me alone with him, she nearly flipped. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, as, you, as, he, you, as oh. you're telling those, the, as you're telling that story, I'm like putting the pieces together. I'm like, whoa! Like, <laughs> it, it was it, what was going through your mind at that time? You know, nothing about the um, murder part. And actually, after the fact, I realized that what I probably should have been a little concerned about is the fact that he spent 16 years in prison. But you know, that's probably probably the more worrisome thing. And 
he is the most delightful individual. The White House had recommended him, actually. He was in a Bernie Sanders ad. Mm. Um, he has a lot to lose. Like, he, there's no way that, you know, I, I actually would trust him more than most people, <laughs> you know, um, to do the right thing, you know. And, and, and it, I mean, of course, I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. But, oh, my God, he, he just is such an amazing human being. And his story is incredibly inspiring. So and he does he does artisanal furniture. He um, also has a, another company. It's a construction company. So so in his case, I actually kind of went off the reservation a little bit because his story was so good, right? So he's not really manufacturing, although he's now looking at creating more manufactured goods. So it's a balance, you know. It's tough, but the most important thing is good stories. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think. Well, number one, it's your podcast, so you can do whatever, whatever <laughs> the hell right. you want. <laughs> number two. You can never go wrong with a good story, just like the one you just told. I mean, it's like amazing. That's what's captivating and keeps like it's there's something physical that happens to me when I hear a good story. Like I sort of sit more upright and I like lean forward a little bit. And I imagine listeners doing that as well when it's something that's like, oh, man, let's let's see where this is going. And I'm I think curious. It, do you, oh, go ahead. No. And then as long as you keep doing that, I, I think you're going to have a lot of success. Yeah, you know, I was curious if you had any fans that you don't actually know face to face, but then they start emailing you and then you start wondering like, okay, so what does this person think about this particular episode? Does that happen to you? Well, because I'm in the podcasting world, I inevitably end up meeting most of them at, at a podcasting a conference. <laughs> so uh, I, I think I've, I've had a couple of people reach out um, because they caught something with the editing. And recently I, 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 I had, uh, I wasn't, I didn't create a stereo for uh, an intro that I recorded because of the setup I have here, I usually get it done in post and, and they caught it and it was someone I'd never heard of. He's like, Hey, regular listener. So it's funny how sometimes the little mistakes cause people totally. to come out and which is cool because you, you can't like plan those things. But when they do, you're like, Oh look, one new listener. And I'm like, who That's are so you? Cool. Like, who exactly. are you? Like, how did you find it? Like, <laughs> I was, um, you know, cause you, you, I obviously don't know everyone that's listening, but every little opportunity that I get to find someone, whether it's a Facebook post or they like something, I mean, I even like when they like posts on the social media, you can see like liked by 30 people. And you, I look at the list and I'm like, hmm, some of the most of that is spam. But then I'm like, oh, this new person. I, I wonder why, you know, they, they, they <laughs> like. So it's this is just podcaster stuff. We just fret over like, <laughs> is, is, it, is anybody listening? Yeah. <laughs> so a couple uh, last couple of questions as we wrap up. Uh, what have you changed your mind about recently? Hmm. Whether this interview was a good idea. <laughs> no, is, is, the, is the jury still out on that one? Uh, no, it's, it's really great. It's been fun. Um, I have lived my whole life around saying yes, and I love meeting new people and love to network. And I just get so much energy. I'm a total extrovert around that. But uh, I have had to focus so much. And I'm saying no to things and having to really not not do the kind of things that I enjoy as much and saying no to networking. I don't need new ideas and new friends. <laughs> so basically I'm focusing and that's kind of what I've changed my mind about is that maybe it's not always, maybe it's not always good to say yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the one most misunderstood thing about you? I think that uh, I'm a bit of an enigma to some folks. Like I think that, I'm very approachable. And then also sometimes I could be pretty harsh, like, you know, cause I, I have pretty high standards, you know? So I think that sometimes 
I am incredibly nice about something and people think that maybe they can get away with something and then they find out that they can't. <laughs> it takes a little, a little while, but then they realize. <laughs> find out, they find out the hard way. <laughs> yeah. You can't pull the wool over my eyes for too long. <laughs> so Z, where's the best place for folks to track you down? Yeah, so you can listen to the podcast at The Art of Manufacturing. Uh, you can go to the uh, website at makeitinla.org. And if you want to see all of our uh, social handles and a little bit more about me, uh, it's so we make it in LA, um, Christina Holly with an SZ, or just go to my page, uh, makeitinla.org slash Z, and you can see all that stuff. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for spending uh, time. And uh, awesome. next next time we have to do it in person. I think when people realize that we're actually in the same town, they're like, "We well, should have done a live interview." <laughs> I know. No, it's all. It's almost like live, but we'll do it at the beach. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Well, I hope. Right. Uh, I hope this conversation met your expectations. Oh well, geez, as a, of as, a, as a fellow <laughs> as a fellow podcaster, and uh, thanks again. So much fun. Thank you. So thanks again to Z Holly. You were paying attention, and you'll notice that moment that I mentioned in the intro was the fact, was the time when I asked her what it was like to be a woman at MIT, and she said, you know, well, if I was a guy, would you ask me the same question? And, and I wouldn't. And so for a split second, I was on my heels, but then I, you know, I, hopefully I answered it or I addressed it in a way that was uh, respectful uh, to her. But it's just fascinating to kind of think of these things that, we take for granted or something that I would, I'm naturally curious about, but I didn't mean it in a way that meant to take anything about or from her really, really uh, fantastic experience. Great conversation. Nonetheless, I hope you enjoyed it. Regular listeners will know that I'm always soliciting feedback on SpeakPipe. This week, I was not disappointed. I was actually elated when I heard this over the weekend. Harry, hey, it's Dave Jackson. I'm in the middle of the woods as I record this because I'm listening to the interview with Lee Silverstein. And I just want to let you know, you are kicking so much ass on this interview because every time Lee says something that I'm like, oh, that's, that's weird. What is, I wonder what that means. Not that it was a bad answer, but it's like, and every time you're like, well, what does it mean that your friends before cancer and after cancer are not the same? And then he says, uh, I, I remember vividly memories from having cancer when I was five years old. And you're like, really? Share. And I'm just like, hi. I'm like, this is, this is the ultimate listening to your guest and asking great follow-up questions. So I had to stop what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of nowhere watching chipmunks. And I uh, just wanted to stop and say, hey. And also, how the heck, when I went, to, I'm doing this on my phone, obviously. When I go to your website... This little pop-up says, do you want to subscribe in iTunes? And I was like, well, what kind of magic mojo do you have on your website that is prompting me to subscribe? So spill the beans on that. Uh, I'm sure all of us would want to know. Thanks, buddy. Keep up the great work, man. And I uh, look forward to seeing you in uh, Anaheim, if not sooner. Take care. How cool is that? So, so cool. If you're not doing it already, encourage your listeners to leave feedback because uh, you'll be nicely surprised when they do, and it'll make your day. I guarantee it. We are a member of podcastica.com, intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check them out at cedarsoil.com. And don't forget to support our sponsor, Podbean, podbean.com slash podcast junkies. The retention hashtag for this week is Zcast. 
the letter Z-C-A-S-T. So tag myself, podcast underscore junkies, and Christina at K-R-I-S-Z-T-I-N-A, Holly. That's her Twitter handle. Tune in next week to hear my conversation with the director of The Messengers podcast, which you've seen, which you've seen, which you've heard referenced on this show many times, Neil Giarte, and host of All Things Post as well. And we talk a lot about uh, The Messengers documentary, but also his start into podcasting and a lot of things that he has coming up, which are interesting and um, some some just connection that we have on a cultural level as well, since we both grew up in the time of um the 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 b-boys the the break dancing and we cover that as well so if you have not downloaded our free pdf it's podcastjunkies.com slash eight tools and eight is the number eight eight t-o-o-l-s and it's a free pdf that has a list of the newest tools i'm using to help me with my podcast i realized the last version was several years old and so, so now it's new shiny and updated for 2017 podcastjunkies.com slash eight tools. Thank you so much. And please do me a favor. Have a fantastic day.